Well, good morning. Thank you, because I said, this half's awake. This half's still just like, who's on stage, and I don't know. Thank you. Hey. It's still morning, right? Okay. Sorry, we go from Saturday night to Sunday morning, you start losing like time zones in between here. So, hey, how's everybody this morning? Yes, congratulations to everybody who got baptized. It was exciting. Thank you for letting us be a part of it. If you don't know me, my name is Sean. I get to be part of the amazing team here at Hillside, and uh, we are glad you were here this morning. If you could be, you could be anywhere else at this time in this place, but you chose to spend time with us, and we're thankful for that. Because we really do believe Jesus changes everything. It's not just the shirt we wear or the stuff we print out. We truly believe it. And then each life in here is an impact of that. So thank you for being here. So, hey, I have a question for you as we get started. How many of you have ever made a promise to somebody? Oh, a lot less than last service. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right, how many of you have broken that promise? Okay, some honest people. Okay, how many of, us have, how many of you have made a promise half-heartedly? You know what I'm talking about? Like, parents, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Hey, clean your room and I promise you get ice cream. Totally not expecting them to do it. And then they do it, you're like, oh, I didn't really think this through, right? How many of us have had a promise broken to us? How many of us have had that prom- a promise broken to us by the same person more than once? See, we, I, don't, I don't know why, as human beings, we keep going back to the same people over and over again, right? And we think something's going to change, don't we? Okay? And what happens is when we have promises broken to us or we break promises to others, that trust erodes, doesn't it? And for a lot of us, we probably have relationships in our lives that when they say, yeah, I promise I'll be there, you're like, whatever. Okay, thank you. I get yeah. But I know, I mean, how many of us make promises with the right heart? Like you really intend to do it. Husbands, we probably make promises to people like, yes, I totally will do that. But we don't talk to the, our wives. We don't check our schedules. We're just like, yeah, we want to be the hero. And then we're like, ooh, I wish I hadn't done that because now I can't follow through with that. In our culture, the word promise gets thrown around like just very flippantly, right? It sounds good. It sounds like we're going to be all in. But in our culture, the word promise doesn't hold a lot of weight anymore, does it? It just, it just doesn't anymore. When we look at Scripture this morning, we're going to look through Genesis 15, and we're going to see really God's promises never fail. As much as we drop the ball, God will never do that. So turn to John 15. I'm sorry, John. Totally different even book of the Bible, not even close. Genesis 15. Okay. As you turn there, you know, Abram's coming off the, the, the victory in, in chapter 14. And prior to this, we all remember that God made Abram a pretty big promise, didn't he? He said, your offspring will be a multitude, Right? What, in our culture, and even in, in, in rational minds, what was wrong with that promise? I mean, how old was Abram when that promise came down? Oh, right. He's like 75 years old. How many of you, that, if you were 75 or older, want to start that whole child thing process over again? <laughs> right? I mean, I'm in, my, I'm in the 40 range. I'm not going to tell you which end I'm on. But I, we have a, a 19-year-old. Uh, a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old, and today we have an 18-year-old that I'm not going to point her, I'm not going to look at her, but I'm going to point, she's over there, um, and everybody's pointing to her, she's 18 today. I don't want to start this baby thing over again. Right, th- th- preach it, okay? <laughs> but at 75, you're used to being the grandparents where you sugar them up, soda them up, shake them up, and send them home, right? You've earned that right. So now, now God's telling Abram, not only are you going to have offspring 
but you're going to have a multitude of them. Okay, so in this part now, we come to Abram and God's conversation. And I'm going to read through chapter 15, then we'll kind of go back to it. And it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. In the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, shall your offspring, so, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteous. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of, the, out of Ur from, of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, o, o Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess this? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all of these cut them in half and laid each half, over, laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. It will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Emrites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So we're unpacking this a little bit because it starts out by saying, God telling Abram, I'm going to be your shield. A shield's a very comforting thing, isn't it? It's a big piece of steel that you put in front of you to block off whatever's coming. As God is our shield, shouldn't that be incredibly freeing and incredibly comforting? It should take fear away, shouldn't it? To know that whatever's coming, there's a God of the universe who's created all this that will stand in front and take the hit. He says, your reward will be great. And now, how many of us, like, how many of us understand we're not really supposed to question God or complain to God? Or no, let me say this again. How many of us know we're not supposed to complain about God, but we can complain to God? How many of us have someone that's close to you, spouse, best friend, someone that you really trust, that when you have a rotten day and you need someone to vent to, they're your go-to person? You're not complaining about them, you're just complaining to them, right? It could be, uh, my wife takes that from me. I'll come home and I bottled it up all day, and she's like, how was your day? And then, it comes out. I'm not mad at her, I'm not even mad, it's just like, She's going to take it all because I trust her. There's a relationship there. I know that no matter what I say, she'll help me pull it apart and figure out what's really going on there. Abram's talking to God that way because if you look in verse 2, it says, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. He's saying, look, where's this offspring you promised me? 
He's not complaining, but he is saying, look, what's going on here? Where is this at? Because he's staying humble. He's staying focused. Is he, he's not asking in vain. I mean, how many of us have asked for something from God that we don't really need? God, give me. God, help me. God, do this. And we never stop to think, is that really what God would want for us? It's, it's like the genie in the bottle. When we want something, we bring God out, we rub the bottle, we ask what we want, he gives it to us, we put him right back in the bottle, and we stick him back in the closet. I don't think we mean to, but I think for a lot of us, we can operate that way, can't we? And Abram's like, look, where, where is this offspring at? Where, where are we at with this? He says, behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. The heir of his house is just a servant that he has. Everything he wants to give is to a servant who's not blood-related. We can invest our lives in people all over, but there's something special about investing lives of our family members and our children, right? I have four kids, okay? I want to invest in them what I've learned over the years. They'll learn our traditions. They'll learn our customs. My kids will learn what it means to really root for losing sports teams. (laughs) They have yet to embrace it, but they learn about it. But I also want our kids to learn, like, look, this is what Jesus has done in our lives and in our marriage. I want them to learn, yes, we have seen our parents try to follow Jesus, and we've seen them fail, and we've seen what Jesus has done with that. We want to pass that down to them so that they, when they have kids, they can say, look, this is what your grandparents taught us to do, and that keeps going through that. There's just something different about doing it with your offspring because you have a lifetime with them. You see them as babies, and you get to raise them up in those customs. It's not just a, a person that works for you. Abram's like, look, where, I, I want to pass this on. Where, where is this offspring? And the Lord says, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside to look to heaven. Can you count the stars? One thing we love about Texas being here is that when you go outside at night, you see stars. Right? In New York, you see a few. You're like, yeah, I can see there's some up there. Here, it's like, wow, there's a whole other galaxy out there. Imagine trying to count those. That's the offspring that he's promising to Abram, a 75-year-old man who's now saying, hey, where, where is this happening at? What I love about that is that it reminds us that just because God hasn't done it yet doesn't mean he's not going to do it. We live in a day and age of instantaneous gratification, don't we? When we want to watch a movie on streaming services, what do we do? Click, click, and it's there. Very few of you, under the age of 25, understand what it's like when the video store gets your favorite movie on VHS in. <laughs> you laugh and you all remember that, right? You walk into the store and they had like the box with the tape behind it and you walk in going, <gasps> my favorite movie growing up was Back to the Future. If you've seen it, you're blessed. If you haven't seen it, you were missing out. Okay, no, but so when it came out in video, and it was 1985, right? So I was, I won't say how old I was, but... So I remember going to the video store, and they had 75 copies they were getting in. And it still took me six months to get a copy to go home. That was heartbreaking. Ride your bike and go, oh, conquest cannot happen. Here it's just like, boop, 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 it's done, right? We can order food from our phones, right? And it's, in, it's to our house in 20 minutes. We don't have to leave the couch. You can get sanctified poultry any day of the week but Sunday, delivered to you with a, with a click of three or four buttons. We don't know what it's like to wait for anything. And when we say, God, I want this, we pound the table going, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And we forget that God has a plan that includes a timeline that's not like ours. There's a timeline that we don't always see. But verse 6 says, Abram 
believed God. He was asking a question, but he didn't complain. He wasn't questioning. He was saying, where is this? But he believed him. We jump to verse, to verse 7. It says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this great land to possess. And he said, oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess this? He's asking again, how am I going to know this? So God comes back with the world's weirdest shopping list. I guarantee you no one in this room has been given this honeydew list. Right? He says, bring a heifer, three years old. Bring a female goat, three years old. And a ram, three years old. A turtle dove and a young pigeon. It's a very Monty Python-esque shopping list. He brings it and says, look, I'm going to create a sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice to, to prove that this is not just words. This is a commitment to Abram. And he says he cut them up. He laid them down. He put them down there. All in the Old Testament, a sign of a sacrifice says, look, there's a covenant being made here. There's something special happening. And verse 12 says, as the sun was going down, deep sleep fell on Abram, and it wasn't good. It's my walk-off song, I guess. Time to go. Um, it, it says, look, there's a deep sleep coming, and it's dark. And God begins to unfold and let Abram know, here's what's going to happen to your, to your lineage. As, I read, as we read through this, see if it sounds familiar. It says, then the Lord said, in verse 13, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Where do we see that story unfold? Just, just a book later, right? It's, the, it's, it's Egypt. It's what they went through. God's telling them, yes, you are going to have these but your offspring are not going to be where you think they're going to be. They are going to be in a strangers in a land where they will be afflicted and enslaved. He does promise, hey, I'm going to deliver them and give them great possessions, but this is the first part of it. Now, that's not a very happy dream, is it? You're going to have a great family, and they're going to just be beaten for 400 years. But he goes on to say something else that I find incredibly fascinating. He says, look, and for you yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in good old age. Abram's going to live a lot of years. But God's saying, here's the plan. You're not going to see how it ends up. As human beings, if we are promised this great promise and told, this is what's going to happen, but you're never going to see it. How motivated, how motivated are we to follow through? We'd be like, well, if I'm not going to see it, what's the point? If we're made a promise and we don't get to see the reward, then we can lose motivation. One of the things I've learned in, in ministry, I've worked, I work with students here at Hillside, I've worked with students for 29 years. And one of the things I had to learn early on is that we rarely see the fruit of our ministry while we're in it. Um, when God called me to student ministry years ago, I had a very big Moses moment. I'm like, are you sure you want me? Because I don't, I don't talk so good. Who's going to follow me? Are you sure I can do this? And God simply said, do it. I said, okay. I said, God, are you sure? Because I don't, I don't really, I, I can't really communicate. I'll do it for you. Are you sure, God? I'm super insecure. He's like, don't worry. I'm going to put you with an age group that will never exploit the insecurities. <laughs> okay. I said, okay. And over the years, there have been many times on a Sunday or a Wednesday, I've come home going, why do I keep going? 
They don't care what I have to say. They don't want to reach back out. I feel like I'm going, I'm just, the, I'm, I'm the, I'm the a clanging gong. I'm not, I don't know how to, this is not really what you wanted me to do, God. And every once in a while, I'll get a text or a phone call or an email that said, hey, remember when I was in eighth grade and you told that story? I'm like, I don't remember you being in eighth grade. Like, it's a lot of years now. Hey, you shared that story, what Jesus did for you, and, and because of that, I, I, I turned my life around. I've used that to say, yeah, I can find Jesus. There was a young lady, her name's Caroline. She was, she was in our ministry in Ohio years and years ago. Sweet, really sweet girl. And Christy and I spent a lot of time just loving on her and talking with her and encouraging her. And she kind of went, wait, kind of off, off path for a while. And we had lost contact other than just through Facebook and whatnot. And then two years ago, we get a message from her. She's married with a child, and she's serving uh, with Youth with a Mission in Hawaii to be an international missionary. And she simply just said, hey, thanks for not giving up. Thanks for loving. Thanks for sending me those. Thanks for just being part of this story. And look, going, that's, that's why we do it. God's promise rarely, he did not promise me to say, hey, you say yes to this ministry, and I'll make you funny, and I'll make you cool, because that's never happened. And, and you'll be really like, you know, this, you'll be the great games guy, all these different things. He just simply said, look, take your story, tell my story, and then let me do the rest. Hey, take who you are, take the gospel, and just love them, and see what happens. We rarely, rarely, and I, and I say this to you not because of anything great with me, but say, look, some of you are investing in coworkers or neighbors or family members. You're like, why do I keep having this conversation? They're never going to come around. Let me encourage you, don't give up. It may be a year. It might be 10 years. It may be long after you're off this planet where someone comes to your spouse or your kids after you're gone and says, hey, your mom, your dad, they, they had a huge impact on me years ago. I grew up, my, family, my, my parents divorced when I was seven. It's a huge part of my story. And now when I sit across from a student who says, hey, I had a rough week, my mom left, my dad left, my parents were splitting up, I'm like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I understand the pain. I can't take it away, but I can say, look, for what's worth, let me tell you what Jesus has done with that in my life and give them some hope to say, this is not the end of a story. As you, as you invest in people, don't think that it's over yet. Trust the God that you serve to say, look, I'm being obedient to invest the story, my story, his story into lives and let him do the rest. He has shown over and over again that he'll do that. It doesn't mean it's going to happen quickly, but it does mean it's going to happen at some point. The last part, verse 17 down, says, When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. To your offspring, I will give this land from the river to, of Egypt to the great river to the Euphrates and, and list it down there. It was him committing to Abram. Your ancestors will come back to this place and inherit this land. And Abram believed him. Because in every part, every promise that he had ever given, he's always been faithful. We see it, we see it play out, don't we? We see it in Exodus. They enter the promised land, fulfilling a, fulfilling a promise that Abram never got to see. When you look in Scripture... There are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. I can't list them all because we'll be here forever. But there's a few that I love to highlight. First, that God's promises never fail. Every promise that is in this book, he has come through on. God's, God is always with me. 
for so many times we feel like we're walking alone because maybe if we don't physically have someone next to us, he's with you. He's standing with you. God's faithful. He's not going to go back on things. He's kind. He's compassionate. God designed me. Ephesians 2. God designed me and you with a purpose. None of you is here as a ball of goo that just got dropped on the planet and hoped that something happened with it. God gave you, built you, wired you, gifted you for a specific purpose. Every one of you has gifts. Some of you are going to look at me and go, no, I don't have any gifts. Yes, you do. We haven't, you haven't unlocked them yet. You haven't found them yet, but they're there. All of us, how many of us here, there's something about ourselves we don't like? A few of us? Cool. Cool. We have our own small group now. Um, <laughs> we love to say, because of this great thing I do, people are meeting Jesus. And I'm telling you, don't believe that that's always true. Because sometimes it's your greatest weakness that you think is, is, a, is something you want to get rid of that God will use to reach another life. Your weakness in watching and being able to talk about going, yeah, this is where I stink at something, and this is what Jesus is doing through it. Someone else will say, oh, I had that same thing about myself. I want to see what Jesus does with that. He's wired you for a purpose, wired me for a purpose. We're not here just by chance. God gives power to my life. God will strengthen and help me. In James 1.5, God will give us wisdom. He says, if you don't have wisdom, what do we do? Just ask for it. How many of us have a hard time asking for wisdom? Yeah, because we know it all, right? I mean, come on, we are finite human beings. We've got all the answers. What could the, what could the almighty creator have anything to tell us? Right? If we, if we need wisdom, we ask for it. God promises you and I an abundant life in John 10. He doesn't promise us an easy life. He doesn't promise us an event-free life. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't promise us a life that we will not overcome hurdles. He promises us an abundant life. Okay? He has a plan for you and me, and he can be trusted. Every one of these, and many more, have been, have been proven to come true over and over again. So what is holding us back from believing the promise he's given to us, to you on your life? The promises he's instilling in you now, that you're like, I don't know if I can believe that. Why? We will trust somebody who's let us down multiple times, why do we not trust the one who's never let us down? Why do we keep letting ourselves be hurt by someone that we know is going to hurt us and we keep going back to it, but yet the one who says, I love you, I'm passionately chasing you, we're like, no, I don't have time for that. We, we have this all backwards. The biggest promise, and there's many verses, but through Genesis 3 and Isaiah 53 is the promise of a Savior. God promised that he would send a deliverer to us. He promised that he would send a savior to absolve and take the punishment for our sins so that we don't have to taste death. He promised that he would send somebody to take our place. When this promise came through all through the Old Testament, what were they looking for? They were looking for the pomp and circumstance, weren't they? I mean, how many of you have seen Aladdin? The animated one, not the terrible live action one. The animated one, right? The whole Prince Ali, remember the whole big like to do with this? They were waiting for this big triumphant entry. Like, this is what the king's going to look like. This is how he's going to show up. This is how we're going to be delivered. And God said, nope. I'm going to put him in a trough, in a cave, in a town nobody respects. That's how our Savior and King came into our world. But he still fulfilled his promise, didn't he? He still came through with what he said he was going to do. He still came through with a promise. 
Jesus himself promises that he's our strength, that he'll never leave us, that he will carry out his plan in us if we let him. So friends, what is stopping you? What is stopping you today from saying, yes, I can believe that promise? What is stopping you from going out and saying, you know what? I can trust this word because it's never been proven wrong. I don't care what our culture says about it. They want to rewrite it to fit what's going on in culture instead of letting this be what changes and shapes our culture. We want to change the words in here so it fits our agenda because our agenda is selfish. To go with this agenda means we have to give up, we have to sacrifice, we have to let things go, we have to reconcile, we have to forgive, we have to ask forgiveness. But no, we want to pull it and say, no, no, I want to change this because I've got the answers. I don't know what's going on in each of your, in each of your hearts, but I know in this room that there's hurt. I know that there's frustration. I know that there's pain. I know there's celebrations happening. I know that there's good things happening. But if I can encourage you this morning, stand on this promise. He will not fail. He cannot fail. He won't let you down. And if you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I can trust this whole Jesus thing. I get it. I've been there. Okay? It's easy to look at failed people and say that we can't follow a Savior that these people worship. But understand that even anyone on this stage, we, we fail too. We're broken. We're here because, it, because a Savior loves us and has given us grace and has allowed us to be in these positions. If you're here this morning going, like, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing, can I just ask you to take some time and talk to somebody? Ask some questions. Don't let the humanity part of our culture dissuade you from who Jesus really is. He's the ultimate fulfillment of a promise. And I don't know, I don't know a lot of things, but I do know that Jesus has done amazing things in my life because I just let him do it. Jesus has done amazing things in my family's life because we said, okay, we don't know where you're going with this, but we're going to step through it. Years ago, and I'm going to embarrass her, and that's okay because I'm her dad and she can't stop me. <laughs> that young lady over there who's 18 today, when she was born, um, she went into distress right away. Uh, when my wife went into labor, her lungs collapsed, like just tight. And we saw her, we held her, she was gone. Next time we saw her, she was in the box, she had the wires, the tubes, intubated, everything. We didn't know what was going on. But the only thing that we knew was that she was God's first and our second. And we had to trust that. I have family that don't believe in Jesus who watched us say it's, she's his first, she's our second. As that process went on, we were told by the doctor there's one of two things that are happening. One, her body didn't produce enough of this, this uh, I don't want to go into details because I'm not a doctor, but a, a, a certain chemical that they could give her that if it was that, she would recover and be fine. So, okay, great. The flip side is that if she had a protein deficiency, and they said if she had a protein deficiency, we had to turn the machine off and say goodbye. That was the hardest news we'd ever gotten because we only knew her for a couple of days. But we knew she was God's first and our second. And we knew that he had a plan for this whole thing. Now, if you look over there, she's still sitting there. So you can understand how the story came out good. But it was 10 days of every day saying, okay, Lord, what are you doing? We trust. Lord, what are you doing? We got to trust. I was going through ordination at the time. 
I was tired, I was frustrated, and for a moment I was like, I don't know if I can trust anymore. And then they called us and said, hey, we took the tube out of her. She's gonna be fine. I hold on that story all the time because it was the first time I had been so scared that God was not gonna show up. And now I look at her going, she's 18, she's happy, she's healthy, she's a, she's a wonderful young lady, going, okay God, thank you. Because our belief has been since that day we brought her home from the hospital is that someday in her life she's gonna sit across from a family that's gonna have a baby in the hospital just like her. She could say, you know what? Yeah, that was me. And this is what Jesus has done through that. Hold on to his promises. He won't fail. If you're here this morning, you're like, I don't know if I can trust that. I get it. But let me just plead with you to try. He's got amazing things for each of you. Our lifestyles and our hearts will show if we trust him. Try trusting him today. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for this morning. And thank you for these friends that are here this morning. Thank you for the baptisms that we celebrated. God, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we know that you will, 100% of the time, come through on what you promise. God, thank you for Abram's story. And we see how it plays out. We see the impact that had. We see how you fulfilled the promise, Lord. And help us to be okay if trusting you means we may never see the fruition of it. That your plan is better that you're, uh, you are bigger, that you are better. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, allowing us to be part of this mission that you have us on. And Lord, I pray above all things, as we go today, help us to trust you completely. God, thanks again for your love. And we ask this in your name. Amen.